0: Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. He was a righteous king. But he always liked to play with darkness. He was willing to compromise his place with the God of heaven. In order to be friends with the world. He was a straight shooter until it cut across his friendship with his family. And then he wanted to compromise. Ahab, the king of Israel, was an extremely wicked man. The most wicked king that had ruled, sinned more against God than any other king of Israel. Jehoshaphat wanted to become friends. And so an alliance was struck between them. And he'd go visit them. And he'd say foolish things like, My people are your people. Whatever is mine is yours. Wait a minute. They're not his people, they're God's people. But he was trying to build bridges of friendship. And so the Lord God of heaven. In chapter 19 of 2 Chronicles, sends a prophet to him and says in verse 2, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Because of this, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. There is, however, some good in you, for you have rid the land of the Asherah poles and have set your heart on seeking God. So here's a man who wants to seek after God, who loves the way of the Lord. But he also loves the way of darkness. And he wants to be in friendship with those who are against the Lord. And so the Lord says, my wrath is on you. My wrath is on you today. God's wrath is on us because we have been friends with the world. Oh, we have sought after the Lord, and the Lord has recognized that. He recognizes those attempts that we have made to walk in obedience to Him, but He still comes and says, You're under wrath. Now, what does it mean to be under wrath? According to Hebrews, the 12th chapter, It means to be under the rod of discipline. It means that things aren't going to go right. It means that finances are going to crash. It means that all kinds of difficulty will rise up. And so this word comes to him, and instead of repenting and crying out to the Lord, he begins to do even more good. And he sets up judges in the land. He sends out teachers in the land to teach the way of God. He warns the people not to sin against the Lord. Otherwise, the wrath of God is going to fall on them too. So here's the king. He loves God. He serves the Lord, but there's wrath on him. He's under discipline. And he now does all he can to further the kingdom of God. He teaches the people how to walk in righteousness. But there's still wrath on him. In other words, he has now done all he could do to be righteous before God. But from the left and from the right, he's going to get beat up. And he's going to say, but I'm doing all I know to do. But there's wrath on him. The discipline of God is on his life. And so he's saying, okay, I'll do more good. I'll teach more people righteousness. I'll preach more. I'll do everything I can, but... In spite of all that he does, the wrath of God is still on him. He still has a heart that is broken and bleeding. He still has difficulties that he cannot surmount. And he's saying, but wait a minute, I'm doing everything right. Why are you treating me this way, God? Because there's wrath on you. Any of you understand what it means today to have wrath on your life? Have you felt the lash of God on your back? Are you even today rebelling against that wrath? Are you copying an attitude saying, How can God treat me this way? All I've done is try to serve Him. And if you're discouraged today, saying it's not even worthwhile to serve God, I do my best and I just get more difficulty i mean what's the reward remember the book of malachi it said some of you are saying hey it's useless to serve god you just get more wrath well please today i want you to know and understand that wrath is not removed by trying to do more good things that doesn't remove the wrath The wrath has come upon our lives because of alliances that we have made with darkness. And so now we're going to come back and say, okay, I'm tired of these alliances with darkness. Now I'm going to do everything right. But the wrath is still on us. And regardless of how hard we try, no matter how much we try to behave and do it right, the wrath of God is still on us. That's what happened to Jehoshaphat. Now look, chapter 20. It's not by accident that immediately after describing all of this hard work at righteousness that the Lord gave to us in the 20th chapter, the story of the Moabites and the Ammonites and others who have come to make war on Jehoshaphat. So men come and they tell Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Eden. In fact, they're already at Engedi. Now, if you know your geography of Israel, you know that Engedi is in the desert, Craig of the Goats, where David fled to hide from Saul. It's down there by the Dead Sea. It's close by. It's not a very long march. After all, you can walk across Israel in 11 days. I mean, this is not a big nation. So the army is approaching and it's very close. I want you to see the connection today. He makes false alliances with those who do not love and serve the Lord. The Lord says to him, I see your attempts to live righteously, but my wrath is on you. He responds by doing more good teaching. But the wrath of God remains on him. And now the wrath of God is being evidenced by the armies coming to annihilate him and to kill him. Now, please understand that he is not going to be able to pick up his scrolls and walk out into Engedi and meet this army with his scrolls and preach to them the word of God. They're there to kill him. In other words, there's nothing he can do that will deliver his people from these attackers. It is utterly, utterly hopeless. He has no resources to draw upon. He has no good work that he can do that will make certain that the Ammonites are defeated. He is powerless. He can't go to the temple and offer a hundred more sheep. He can't do anything. It's hopeless. The whole nation is going to be annihilated. They can't face this army. They have no resources to face this army that's coming at them. Chapter 20, verse 3, Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. He proclaimed a fast. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard. And he begins to pray. But let's stop. Let's not go too quickly over this. Why didn't they meet at the stadium? I mean, why not have the gathering over at the stadium? That's where football's played. Why don't they go to where the plays are held? There's a large arena in Jerusalem for, for plagues. Why don't they go there? Why do they go to the temple? Very simple. They go to the temple because that's where the blood is. That's where atonement is. They can go to the stadium, but there's no blood there. It's only the blood that has the power to bring deliverance to this nation from these attacking armies. Let's make it very practical for you. You're faced with problems that you just don't know how to answer. The wrath of God is on you. The discipline of God is on you. And you say, I'm going to go to the psychiatrist's office. Okay. Go to the psychiatrist's office and talk with him. But is there any blood there? No. Well, I'm going to go to the credit card. Is there any blood in the credit card? No. Well, I'm going to go to my family and I'm going to tell them how terrible this is. Was there any blood there? No. I'm just going to throw a fit and roll around on the ground and curse God. Is there any blood there? There's no blood there. There's only blood in one place. And that's at the temple on the altar of burnt offering. The blood is at the temple. And so all of Israel then is brought together at the temple where the blood is. Because the atonement is being made. Now with that in mind, listen to this prayer. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Oh, our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment, plague, or famine We will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Do you see he is placing his confidence in the blood? But now here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Sur, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came up from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do. But our eyes are upon you. There's a scripture. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Let me give you a literal Hebrew translation. Cease and forsake all your striving. And acknowledge that I am God. Take a position of faith. Be convinced that the battle is the Lord's. I was before the Lord yesterday just praying. Praying for Hank. Praying for Jan. Praying for the children of this congregation. Praying for you by name. And the Lord began to do what he always does when I get into deep intercession. He began to deal with me. You understand, intercession is always an invitation for God to deal with your sin. And he began to say to me, when are you going to rest in me? He always asks me these questions. When are you going to rest in me? And immediately I knew the sin of which he was speaking. From the time I've been a small child, I've had the foot on the gas. When I was a small child, I I keep saying to my dad, I can hardly wait till I get to high school. And when I was in high school, I could hardly wait until I got to college. When I was in college, I could hardly wait until I could get to seminary because I wanted to be a pastor and I could hardly wait. And t- I mean. Seminary had no meaning for me. It was only a door I had to go through to get my ticket punched so I could get to that church and pastor. And after I got to the church and was pastoring, I said, now, if only I could be successful. And if only I could do this, and if only I could do that, if only I could achieve. And always in my life, I've had the foot on the gas saying, let's go, let's go, let's go. My wife has gently uh, reprimanded me on numerous occasions saying, Ray, why don't you just enjoy what is now? And I said, I can't enjoy what's now. Look at what we've got to do. Look at all the work there is to do. I don't have time to stop. You rest, Jan. I'm going to move. No, if you're going to work, I'm going to work. So one, two o'clock, we'll be down in the studio producing. And finally, I say, I'm ready to go to bed. She says, well, I've been waiting for you. Always pushing. Always saying, look, I've got to think this out. I've I've got to figure this out. I'm missing something here. Let me go to this seminar. Let me go to this workshop. Let me let me talk to this pro over here. Let, let me get, I've got to get this right. There's got to be a way through this. There's, there's got to be a way I can accomplish this. And that pulled me right into Robert Schuller and all of his foolishness. Paul pulled me into positive thinking and all the, the foolishness that's filling the body of Christ today that flows out of that human energy, always cranking, saying, We've got to make something happen here. Oh, we've got to do it, of course, for God. No, we're not doing it for us, we're doing it for God. And the wrath of God is on us. The Lord was saying to me, What have you accomplished, Ray? Did you find this house that you live in? No. Do you pay for it? No. Did you find your wife? No. What have you done? Nothing. Did you call the people who come to the National Prayer Chap? No. Are you in charge of them? No. Is it your job to make the National Prayer Chapel successful? No. I mean, I was just, no, 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 no. And he's saying to me, when will you rest in me? I almost entitled this sermon today. If it's going to be, it's not up to me. (laughs) If it's going to be, it's not up to me. It's up to my master, my Lord, my Savior. It's up to Jesus. And suddenly I began to breathe. And I felt my inside just. Sat in his presence, and such joy filled my heart. I recognized I don't have any authority, I'm not in charge. He is. And I see this great army coming against God's people. And many of them out there swinging the sword as hard as they can swing at a national level, at an international level. And nothing they're doing is making a bit of difference. The lost are not being saved. We're having many professions of faith. But it's basically spray painting pagans. And bringing pagans in and calling them Christians. The work of salvation is a work of the spirit of the living God. Conviction of sin is a work of the spirit. It's Thomas Akempis who, who gave to me this gem that I must give him credit for, in saying that it's the devil who whispers to us, It's the Holy Spirit who pulses in us. Feel your pulse. You have one? Are you sure? Can you get it? Come on, you grown-ups. Feel your pulse. Can you find it? Your heart's beating. It's that pulsing in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that constant pulse is calling us to trust in the blood, in Jesus, calling us to let go of everything else, of our alliances with the people of darkness, calling us to release and stop trying to play games, stop trying to be somebody, stop trying to. Think we have authority? The people should listen to us? It's Jesus. It's His blood. It's His atonement. It's what He wants to do. It's not what you want to do or I want to do. It's what Jesus wants to do. Can you feel in your heart what would happen right now in your spirit if you let go of all the issues? If you let go of all the things that you think you have to do or be, and you said, Jesus, have your way. Some of you are so tired, you'd immediately fall to sleep. And you should. It's not for foolishness that it says fall into the arms of Jesus. That's where you go to rest. When you're so tired of your own labor and your own foolishness that there's no place else to go but to the arms of Jesus and his love is then outpoured for us. He carries us because one of the first things we begin to recognize when we trust in the blood of Jesus is that we can't carry ourselves anymore. Some of you have exhausted yourself trying to carry your own misery and your own mess. And today, Jesus' heart is to say to you, will you do the same thing Jehoshaphat did? Will you call a fast? Will you just stop all this outside stuff? Will you call a fast and will you come into my presence? And will you say as Jehoshaphat did, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are upon you see, God's wrath has to come on us in order to bring us to this place where we realize we have nothing to offer. We can't change the situation. We can't rescue ourselves at work or in the family. We can't rescue ourselves. God has to come and rescue us. And if he doesn't rescue us, we're going to be consumed by the Ammonites all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. That's the picture of the church. Not standing before the doctor or the psychiatrist. Not standing before the accountant. Not standing before the bank. Standing before Jesus. And saying, I don't have any way to get out of this. I can't turn around my husband's heart. I can't turn around my wife's heart. Jesus, I don't have any power here. I can't turn my kids around. Jesus, I'm just coming and saying, I don't have any power here. I need you, Jesus. And I'm waiting for you to tell me what to do. I'm waiting for the pulsing of the blood of Jesus in my heart to tell me what I'm to do. Then the spirit of the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord. If the National Prayer Chapel will take this position with with Pastor Jan and myself, As we face the city of Washington, D.C., as we face radio, WAVA, we have no power to open WAVA. We have no power to take any soul for the kingdom of God. We can go send out teachers and we can do our best. We can preach our best sermons. But nothing will result from that. In our flesh power. But if we'll stand as a congregation. With humble hearts before God. And say we don't know what to do. But our eyes are on you Jesus. Then the spirit of the Lord will come. The spirit of the Lord will come. He came upon a prophet. And the prophet says this in verse 15. Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh, if today you could hear this in your soul. You're not going to win fighting the battle. The battle belongs to Jesus. And only Jesus can rescue you. It's the blood of Jesus that rescues. It's the blood of Jesus that restores marriages. Some of you, you look at your husband and say, I don't love him anymore. Or you look at your wives and you say, I don't love her anymore. You know what? That's all right. Love's a byproduct. Love comes out of obedience to Jesus. When you love Jesus and you come and confess your sin before him, and you say, Jesus, I don't have any idea what to do with my wife. I don't have any idea what to do with my husband. I can't conjure up love for them. The love has been all broken. You stand before the Lord God of heaven and you say, I don't have any way to restore this marriage, but my eyes are on you, Jesus. Your marriage will be restored. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They'll be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jerul. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Why was the Lord going to be with them? The wrath of God was on them. The discipline of God was on them. And instead of trying to fight their way out of it, instead of putting the pedal down, they pulled back and they said, Lord God, only you can
1: change this.
0: Only by your blood can this be transformed. Only by your blood can the deliverance come. I don't know what to do. I'm waiting upon you. And when they said those wonderful words that God loves to hear, my eyes are on you, Jesus. I'm waiting on you. Then his spirit came. And the direction was given. Jehoshaphat bows with his face to the ground. That's a strange place for a king to be. I thought kings were supposed to sit on thrones. Now This king is on his face before God. All the people of Judah and Jerusalem, they fell down in worship before the Lord. And then some of them stood up and began to sing praises. Sing praises. There was no deliverance yet. The army was still coming full force. It looked utterly hopeless. But their hearts had been transformed and they're now praising God. You understand, you don't start praising God after the miracle occurs. You praise God before the miracle comes. That's what was being spoken about today in the offertory. You begin to praise God and you begin to worship God by faith because you recognize you're blind and you're naked and you're miserable and you can't do anything to change your situation. It's going to take God stepping in sovereignly by his blood, by his Holy Spirit power. And while you're waiting for that to happen, you're not moaning and groaning. You're not murmuring against God. You're praising God for the victory that's going to come. Now let me be real clear with you. I want to tell you what I've learned. If after I go before God and I say, now God, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. Nothing happens. And I say, oh. Let's see, I've got these ideas. God's not going to show up here. I better do something quick. Here I go. I've got the solution. I can work this plan. I'm a cat with nine lives. I always end up on my feet. I can make this deal work. The Holy Spirit will let you go to your destruction with the Ammonites. It may take a while, but they'll get you. They'll shoot your heart full of arrows. Bitterness and gall. Discouragement, despair. Anger, bitterness. I tell you today, almost all anger and bitterness that has come up in your heart is the result of your trying to do it your way. Discouragement comes out of trying to do it. Your way. Words of anger and cursing come because you couldn't have it your way. Words of judgment come because you couldn't have it your way. When you honestly go before the Lord and say, Lord, my eyes are on you. Then all you can do is wait for the spirit of God to come. To give instruction regarding what you're to do. And when the Spirit of God comes and gives that instruction, all you can do is praise his name. All you can do is lift up hands of praise and thanksgiving to the Lord and say, Lord God, thank you. The victory is mine. I have the victory. How did you come to know Jesus Christ? Wasn't the word proclaimed to you and the Spirit quickened that word in your heart and you said, I will receive Jesus. And I will allow him to come in and change my life. I want to tell you today, everything from God is received in the same way salvation is received. All of the benefits of the cross are received in the same way salvation is received. It's received by saying, I don't have any power to change my heart. I don't have any power to change what's happening Lord God, I come to you and I put my trust in you. I have my eyes on you. I confess every wrongdoing. I confess every sin. I'm specific in that confession. I don't say, Lord, forgive me for my anger. The Lord doesn't hear that kind of prayer. I have to say, Lord, forgive me for my anger against my wife when I said this and this and this. I was wrong. I'm sorry, forgive me, I will not do it again by the power of your blood. Now, now you're ready for the Holy Spirit to come and begin to instruct the way you should go. How long you are going to be under wrath and the threat of the Ammonites will depend on how willing you are to fast and come before him with prayer. And confess that you have no power. And if necessary, God will let the Ammonites even attack you. And carry you into captivity. He'll let them do anything that's necessary until you come to your senses as the prodigal in the far country. And you say, why don't I just go home? My master's servants eat better than I eat. And you come to your senses and you say, Look, I'm going to go back to God. He's the only one I can trust. So early in the morning, verse 20, they left. They headed toward Engedi. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood there and he said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. As they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord. For his love endures forever. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sur. And they were defeated. The men of Ammon and Moab rose up against the men from Mount Sur to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Sur, they helped to destroy one another. And when the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looks toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one escaped. And so they begin to pick up all of the booty that God has given to them, all the financial blessings that God has given to them. Always after we've walked through this kind of struggle with god he'll begin to bless us they went to the valley of praise and now they once more praise god first before the victory they praised him and now after the victory they praise him they enter jerusalem and where do they go to the stadium no, they go to the temple where the blood is because they know it's the blood on the mercy seat that has saved them. Now, I wish I could drop the story here and say, and they lived happily forever after. But that's not what happened. Jehoshaphat Continues to serve the Lord. But then you find in verse 35. That Jehoshaphat makes an alliance with the king of Israel. Again. Who's guilty of wickedness. He agreed with him to construct a fleet of trading ships. Because they remember how much money. Solomon had made with his trading ships. They built these at Ezen-Geber. And the prophet comes. And he says, because you've made an alliance with Ahaz, the Lord will destroy what you have made. And the ships were wrecked, and they were not able to set sail in trade. Then Jehoshaphat rested with his father's And was buried with him in the city of David. So in other words, the wrath of God came on him again. And this time the wrath of God was manifested in a different manner. This time the wrath of God caused all of his trading ships to be crushed. And he lost everything. What I want you to hear today is that it's not a bad thing to have the wrath of God on you. The wrath of God is an act of incredible mercy from God that he would care enough about his children not to let us just go headlong into that thing that will destroy our marriage or will destroy our ministry or will destroy our effectiveness with our children. Instead of letting us just go headlong into it, he brings us to a crisis and if we'll turn to him and say, Lord God, I'm helpless. I can't deal with this. Would you turn this and you plead the blood of Jesus, his mercy flows in and he brings you through it. And he establishes a testimony of his faithfulness in your life. And then if you are determined and you go back once more and you make another alliance with wickedness, the wrath comes back on you. And look out, you could lose everything. We've got to know these ways of God. As one writer put it, God is not a tame wolf. God is not a tame wolf. You can't play with God. You can't cuddle with God like a stuffed animal. He's alive. And he's holy. And he comes to us today. A people who have the wrath of God on them. Which of us in this congregation is not under some form of discipline by the Spirit? He comes to us and he says, will you fast and will you come before me and will you cry out to me? Will you look at me and say, I have no ideas. I have no methods. I have nothing by which I can save myself. I trust in you and in your blood. My eyes are on you. Will you do that today? Will you begin to praise his name? He'll carry us through. He'll rescue us. You can trust the Lord God of heaven. He is a God of incredible mercy and love. He is a God of such grandeur, but he is also a God of such compassionate love. His mercy is new every morning. It is not in his heart to destroy his people. It is not in his heart to do harm to his people. It is in his heart to do good to his people. When we make false alliances, his wrath comes upon us. For by that wrath, he intends to save us, to drive us back to the blood. Let's pray. Lord, I plead today that you will drive the National Prayer Chapel back to the blood. I plead that you will crush every ship we have built to rescue ourselves. Lord, I ask that your wrath would accomplish its full purpose. That you would give to this fellowship humble hearts, contrite spirits. Give us tears of repentance for our sin. Break the hardness of heart, the arrogance of spirit. Break almighty God, everything within us. That would cause us to form an alliance with darkness and wickedness. Lord, have the victory today. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're located in Woodbridge, Virginia, about 25 miles from Washington, D.C. You can find us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.
1: me. Mm.